The Sunday Grill with Orla Rappel on Beat 102-103. Merry Christmas. It is Beat 102-103. Let's talk Christmas. And if you peel away the shopping, the ads, the food, the questions about who you're spending the day with, you're left with the makings of a pretty stressful time. Fiona Brennan is also known as the Positive Habit. And she joins me on this Christmas Eve Sunday Grill with some tips on how to build resilience over the holiday season. And you're very welcome, Fiona. Direct from, we just have to tell people where you are, Fiona. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite jealous and also incredibly impressed. You are in Greece right now. That's right. Yes. Thanks, Orla. I know people would think it's easy for me to be chilled over here in Crete. <laughs> I'm having a Crete Christmas. But um, I do know what it's like in terms of, you know, that whole build up. Mm. And I think that it's like today, Christmas Eve, it, it's generally when it's all coming to a head mm-hmm. and, you know, people's nervous systems can be quite high. So it's really important to to kind of take that into account and work with yourself to help yourself feel calmer. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that we're, there's a lot of, there's so many emotions or like with Christmas, like I'm here, it feels very different than normal. Tell us and about that, that Fiona. Of, like, did you take a, a side yeah. step away from Christmas this year? What made you decide to go yes. away during this festive time? Well, we're in the process of actually of, of buying a house. So that's why we're doing okay. it. So it's quite a big, and I don't think I would do it every year because I don't want to be away from my family. Like I love to be, you know, at home, but it was just really kind of optimizing this time that we're, you know, work is not so busy. It's it's a good time to to actually get away. But um, it's it's creating a new home, if you like, a new adventure, um, mm. which is is a really uh, exciting step. And are you more um, chilled or did your stresses come maybe six weeks before ours? But maybe, yeah. And that's the thing that I think is really important to like to, to point out between excitement and stress. There's a very thin line. So whether it's Christmas, whether it's buying a new house, whether it's getting married, you know, these kind of like wonderful things in our lives can actually bring a, a sort of anxiety to them, which is very bizarre because we think, well, it's it's really positive and Christmas has all that positive um, mm-hmm. connection, but also has stress on people, you know, that there's all the the sense of having to, to keep um, things going, if you like, that work is just coming to a close um, and then all the extra pressure of getting things ready, you know, and and seeking this kind of perfect Christmas. Like I feel it myself here. I'm kind of like desperately trying to find, you know, things. And I'm going, hang on. It just doesn't matter. It's like taking that step back and going, what really matters is slowing things down and just really bringing a sense of appreciation and gratitude for for where you are, regardless of um, you know, things being exactly how you want them to be. Because mm. the truth is whether you're in Crete or, you know, Mullingar, it doesn't make a difference or Waterford, you know, mm-hmm. the point is that that your inner sense of calm is what the greatest gift I think that we give to our loved ones is that peace of mind, that um, ability to go with the flow, to be flexible and not to get caught up in it all because mm-hmm. it's it's so easy to do that. And I think it's so easy to do that whether you really love Christmas or really 
it brings out the worst in you in a way. I think Christmas can be a really hard time for people's resilience. It almost chips away at you, I think. All the questions of, I really dislike that question that I said at the top of our chat, the what are you doing for Christmas? Because for a lot of people, they don't even have the options of what they're doing. So it seems to just kind of chip away at your resilience. How do we kind of get that resilience back that we might have all through the year? Well, the reason that it does, I suppose, is because quite often it's it's coming with a lot of deeper emotions mm. in terms of family, in terms of it can bring up a lot if you've suffered a grief in the last few years or even, you know, at, at any point a bereavement, it'll bring up that sense of loss very clearly again. So people are trying to manage that and at the same time, you know, keep on the kind of happy, cheerful Christmas face. Um, which can create pressure. And in terms of family dynamics, you know, no matter how old you are, when you go back to the family home for for dinner, those old patterns can start to to play up and you can feel like a teenager again, you know, when you're completely, yeah, you can start to become sulky or irritable or doors can bang and people can just, you know, behave in ways that they never usually would, you know, outside Mm -hmm. of, of, of the Christmas kind of time. And it doesn't take um, long to revert back to that, does it? It's, it's a matter of hours for some people. It's, yeah, even minutes, I would say, Orla, honestly. <laughs> and it's, it's <laughs> as soon as the, you know, the, the turkey's out of the oven, people are, are feeling it. But it's it's really a subconscious um, behaviour and it's, it's not our fault. And I think that's one thing, you know, in terms of resilience is to be very self-compassionate towards yourself. If you do feel yourself behaving in a way that is, you know, less than how you would like to feel, it's showing compassion towards yourself and saying, look, this is okay. It's it's normal. It's understandable. And really like having a kind of root, a grounding, like there's beautiful mountains here in Crete. And it's the idea of like, you know, that sense of just really taking strength from nature and strength in yourself Mm. so that you you ground yourself before you go into the family home, for example, you know, that you're aware of the triggers, like when mum says this or when dad does that Uh or when my, you know, that you kind of see them coming Um, and really take away the sense that people are are intentionally trying to push your buttons. Most of the time it's, we're not, I'm sure I do it myself to Mm -hmm. my God love my family, you know, Um, and we, we all do it. It's not intentional. It's just like, it's almost like actors on a stage that we start to, we start to repeat the lines that we've said for so many years. Mm -hmm. And that um, requires being a lot more present and as when you say resilient it's really like compassion based resilience i think is what would would help here rather than trying to suppress or push down emotion just say you know this is tricky or that can be hard you know there there can be things in families that you know where there's been less than perfect families in in childhood for example mm. maybe there was alcohol maybe there was um you know financial issues there's loads of different things that can start to kind of raise their head Okay. So being, yeah, yeah, I think being aware of that, Orla, is like really key. Okay. And you said find a grounding. Do you mean like find a find a place that you can go to yourself if you're feeling those feelings or what do you yeah, mean by that? Yeah, like, well, it's basically, let's say before you go in, you kind of center yourself and, and the breath is a very practical tool to do that. And it actually works on the level of the nervous system in terms of telling yourself that you're safe, that you're, you know, you're calm and the, the body just responds to that by going into a very, um, 
you know, safe place so that when the triggers come at you, you're you're already kind of primed to go into that grounded space by breathing deeply, you know, a little mantra in your mind. Um, I belong, I am calm, you know, they don't mean it. Um, I love them, you know, really looking for the good. There's so many different, you know, different things that we can do, but we we need to be prepared. It's like all the time and effort that goes into preparing what gifts we're going to give or what meal we're going to have. And, and these are all lovely things. There's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. But I think that we, we don't spend enough time mentally preparing, calming our minds. And really, like if you think back to your own childhood Christmases, like that is actually what is the most important thing is to see the people around you, to see your parents, to see your, you know, family mm. happy and getting on well. Like that is definitely the best gift we give to totally. to, to our loved ones. And it's so isn't nuanced it, really? as well, because there's the person who wants the dinner to be perfect. And there's the person who wants to, you know, go out on the big family walk. And, you know, there's yeah. a whole <laughs> load of expectations that can just really break all that resilience down. But you've given us some brilliant tips there, Fiona. Thank you so much. Compassion based resilience is something I need to learn for myself as well. That self-compassion instead of constantly beating myself up about stuff, having some compassion for myself as well. So really good advice um, this Christmas Eve. And of course, you are live from Greece for a seminar on January the 2nd at 7.30pm if people are interested in it. And that is when you are holding that seminar on building emotional resilience. So a lot of what we talked about this morning on the Sunday Grill. You can get more details at thepositivehabit.com but it's on January the 2nd at 7.30pm. Start your new year off, right? Fiona, I'm let, oh, let thanks. You... And Instagram is another good yes, place to find me. Yes, yes. So if, if you just search for the yep. Positive Habit there. Fiona, I'm so intrigued by what you're going to be having for your Christmas dinner tomorrow. <laughs> well, in Greece. It, we're, I know we, we, we are actually picking up a turkey. There's oh. there's, there's a bunch. Yeah, I know. I think we found one the last on the island. So so we're doing well. Okay. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> we're not that organized. OK, well, look, enjoy yes. it and enjoy that sunshine and the break. Thank um, yes. you so much for talking to me. From and you Greece too, Orla. Have a great one. Have a happy Christmas and we'll talk to you again soon. That is Fiona Brennan, a.k.a. The Positive Habit. The Sunday Grill with Orla Rappel on Beat 102-103. Christmas Eve, lots of things happening in the next 24 hours as we get the run up and the run down towards the festive season, the true festive season of tomorrow and all the relaxation that comes with it, or maybe not. But did you know that an awful lot of our traditions and maybe some of our traditions that are gone come from here around the southeast. Michael Fortune is an author. He brought out a book which is completely sold out called The Folklore of Wexford. And he's going to tell us about some of those folklores and some of those traditions this morning. You're very welcome, Mick. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me on. No Happy bother Christmas whatsoever. Here. Happy Christmas to you as well. So your book, you, you only recently published it and it went on two runs and it's completely sold out. Yeah, so I'm really useless to be talking to you about it, but it is. It's a, it was a lovely book. Um, again, South East is again, obviously Wexford, but then the spillover into South Kilkenny and mm-hmm. into Carlow is, is, is really, really obvious there. And even in the South, into, into Tipperary as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's a lot of a lot of folklore, calendar kind of customs, but completely contemporary or orla. Or, or, so you'll have coloured images and you'll have uh, QR codes as well that'll bring you to interviews where you'll hear people talking about Brilliant. stuff. But there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole section on Christmas um, and little Christmas traditions and things we we would do it at a particular to us, you know. Um, and what is particular actually, to us? 
Yeah, well, come here to me. There's loads of crossover. Well, actually, here's one now. This is, again, the one thing that, which is, um, I found an awful lot of, a lot of country people never had a Christmas tree growing up. Okay. Like, my grandmother was grew up in the coast of Wexford, and she never had a Christmas tree. And she died when she was 103, 103 never had a Christmas tree in okay. the house. And that was the experience of a lot of people attended, came in in, in, the, in the England in the oh, late 1700s, then Queen Victoria popularized in England in the mid, mid 1800s. And it kind of slowly came in here and you'd see images of, God, there's one actually great image of from Waterford, from a, a British sailor man's club in Waterford in the National Library from around 1910. There's a Christmas tree in that. Mm. A lot of the big houses had them. They kind of went into the cities and towns. So it's no surprise you'd find them in Waterford, Carrigan Shore, you'd find it in the towns. But the country ones didn't have them. The, the real thing, and actually Actually, it's actually today, Christmas Eve was the, and I'll be doing it later on myself as well. I'll be going out. We always got the the buried holly, uh, red buried holly, obviously, mm-hmm. and then the, and a bit of ivy, and that was the real Christmas experience for country people. And you'd festoon the dresser with it. You'd festoon okay. the picture frames. Yeah. So your granny never in. had a Christmas tree. Never had a Christmas tree. Oh. Never, never. Ne- always holly and ivy. And here I only like, and a lot of people don't talk about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of people don't talk about it because they kind of feel, God, we were backward. Why didn't we have one? But when you kind of, you know, I'd, I'd run a thing called a folklore, the Folklore.ie page on Facebook and I'd be getting the same response from older people around the country. Never had one. My mother never had one. Um, now, I know some people did like that. You know, there was no, there's no, there's no right or wrong, but it's just so it wasn't there. Um, but like I remember it was in the 80s. I was born in 75. Mm. And Mammy went out and cut a little bow off a tree. And brought it in and stuck it in a bucket of sand or okay. gravel and stuck it. Up. Yeah. Then the artificial tree came along in the mid eighties, and then sure we all I have a Christmas tree now. I love it, you know. But <laughs> it's a uh, but it's it wasn't there. Uh, and some people, you know, here's one as well. I was recording a woman from Newfoundland, and all they're all straight from the southeast, as you probably know mm-hmm. yourself. In Canada. And she was yeah, and she was said they'd go out, uh, they'd go to bed on Christmas Eve. And they'd wake up the next morning and the magic of Santa would be after coming. But then also to be the decorations would be up. Ah. And I came across a woman in Dublin, Dublin saying the same. So they, they wouldn't bring in the berry holly until after midnight okay. on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve night. Lovely. Yeah. Tell us about Santa versus Santi. I definitely call oh, him Santi. <laughs> <laughs> Come here to me. Listen, I'm 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 forty something years of age now, and I'm still calling him Santi in the same way as I call Mammy, Mammy. Uh, listen, it's 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 come here. You know, it's we've we've always called him Santi, and you know, again, there's no right or wrong. Whatever you call him, the man will come to you and leave presents tomorrow morning. But the like, we always call him Santi, and I suppose here's the thing as well. I, I'm a great believer in holding up, re- reflecting who we are mm. and the best we can and not to feel stupid or a bit backward for what we say or what we do because, you know, that's an awful thing. We we, we, we decades of that, you know, people changing their accents and everything mm-hmm. else to, you know, to try to, to try to fit in. Um, but, you know, the, I'd, I'd love to see, you know, rather than the, the Santa train, you know, in, in some village or town in Ireland having, and you know you know that 90% of the people probably call, probably call him Santi mm-hmm. at home or the mm-hmm. quite you know I just love to see the name being embraced a little bit more you know bring back bring back Santi you know, bring, bring back, back the Santi name. I, I refuse not to call, to call him anything but Santi he is Santi yeah. to me tell us about the straw <laughs> then you. in the crib as well Michael ah uh, come here to me that's absolutely lovely and um, with, with, it's a strong a strong one Granny at home used to do it in Ballygarrett and, and, and the east coast of Wexford. But it came here every county in the country, I think, does it, you know. Very strong, again, it is very strong in the southeast. It was always strong in Wexford and Carlow as well, actually. So 
on Christmas. And some people would get it before Christmas Eve. More people would get it on before the crib was taken down on the 6th. But what you do is you'd get a little piece of straw from the crib and you'd put it in your purse. And the idea then is that you'd always have some look for the year. You'd have money for the year. That was the that was the old Wexford spin on it. You'd always mm-hmm. have money for the year. Um, some people will tell you that Orla Rappel couldn't take it herself. So Mick Fortson would have to go to Orla Rappel and give it to her. And then Orla would have to look then. Um, more people put it in by their bank cards to stop okay. the bank cards falling out. Mm-hmm. The contemporary take on it. And more people put it under the mattress to stop flues you know it's all come here it's all belief order but it's a lovely little tradition and people do it uh i came across one woman actually who got how she'd have a coin maybe a one or two euro coin and she'd get a piece of the straw and she'd wrap it around with sellotape and throw it into her purse and she said she could be desperate for that one euro or two euros during the year but she'd never spend it because she always believed that brought that brought her a bit of luck into ah, her purse for the year okay yeah. um will we move towards the new year because there's loads of traditions when it comes to the new year like banging saucepans to welcoming the new year opening the front door to let the new door new year in um, no redheaded person in which is a bit of a problem <laughs> if you're having a party you'll have to exclude all redheads tell us about that oh come here that, that's one and I, a woman in your only told me recently there was a great fear in Ireland for whatever reason I won't even go into it here of a kind of a kind of a superstition of people with red hair and particularly a red haired woman <laughs> okay. and if men were going to the marts and men were going fishing did all, did, did, honest to God, I've heard so many men say, oh, we turn around, you get no look today, go home. And a woman in your told me her father ran a pub and she says that when the fair day beyond, whatever, she, the father would hide her from the pub. said, you, you, you keep it back, don't go in because the men have just, were just super, absolutely. Because she, she, she'd she, red hair. Dead, dead. Red hair. So it's, it's complete pish olds, but she, well, the father believed it and maybe the, more so the men behind the, the far side of the counter believed it. So she was she was hidden out the back, she says. And she's all oh, remembers <laughs> How ridiculous! <laughs> oh, completely! Oh, mental! But yeah, say that to Miss Piggy. I don't. Say, yeah, <laughs> but um, but but what was I going to say to you? Oh, yeah, the red. There's one. This is you get this in the the you get. I've come across it in Mayo in particular, mm. and it's the idea of um a red haired woman would be you you wouldn't let sorry you wouldn't let a red haired woman across the threshold on New Year's Day. The first person to have to cross it would be a black haired man, okay. and sometimes a black haired man. Now, you, I guarantee you, some of the listeners might know someone who does this. Again, again, some of our traditions you'll find them in Scotland, and they would have came their way down through here. But the idea of someone coming with a piece of coal, sometimes a bottle of whiskey, uh, sometimes just coming over the threshold. A woman in Arklow told me that she used to days to have a back door and a front door, and she'd put money in. She'd take some money and run out the front door and run back in the back door with the money in her hand. With the idea that the money left in you out, but left and came back in again, so you'd have money for the year. Okay. Um, so the, the, the community, the stuff we do, like her, it's it's you know it's 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 queer as I say, you know, it's funny, but we we do it, you know, we do it we for do. loads of reasons. We do. Now, um, tell me about um Nolik Naman, which is on January the sixth, of course. It's called Little Christmas. Um, lots real Irish tradition, isn't it? Yeah, well, come here to me. Here's the thing now. I'll probably start kind of back to the Santa Santa thing again. The tradition around Nolignamon is very, very, was was and still is very, very strong in Munster. Cork and Kerry, if you look at the school's folklore collection from 1937-38, Cork and Kerry and a few sprinkles and clear. It wasn't like literally, you know, I'd say, uh, I, I remember typing in doing a search to a recently, or a couple of years ago actually, and looking at it and oh, you're getting a small number compared to the Little Christmas. Mm. So there's no right or wrong. The idea, I think the narrative out there, you know, I'm sure some journalists or some national newspaper put it out there, that all the women, and you, you just look at your your, your social media face, posts, and even the newspapers come 6th of January, and there's a narrative put out there that all the women in Ireland had the day off. And I think that's absolute rubbish, I'll be honest right, with you, because... Okay. 
because well, it wasn't the case Nulligan no, Demond wasn't the case at all in, in, in Wexford it wasn't the case in the South East at all really like I grew up in a house but it was uh, uh, four sisters and a, a mother and my father my mother never got a day off and I okay. think Danny wanted to say it and I know that from my research I know that's from, from fact you know again you go to local schools folklore scheme like every woman deserves a day off and a, a chance to get out but this idea that it was completely this was the tradition it wasn't the tradition all over the country at, at all little Christmas or old Christmas it was a holy day as well mm. and every every Christmas we sat down in, in Wexford and we always had another dinner we'll still do it ourselves because it was my grandmother's birthday but my mother cooked the dinner um, God be good to her and it wasn't my father because he couldn't cook us food um, so you know things change, but but just that I, 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 that always kind of just grits me a little bit. You know that kind of way because we're we're dealing with what, what happened and what I didn't know, happen. I know, I know, but I am yeah, willing yeah. to embrace a little Christmas Good for woman. me <laughs> right too. and all my female <laughs> friends. Michael, yeah, yeah. it's really great to talk to you. We've, you've so many. You're just a mine of information when it comes to tradi- traditions and folklore. We didn't even talk about the robin, and the robin is quite significant to Christmas, isn't he? Well, yeah, the robin and the wren actually. Actually, in two days' time, people will be going to hunt the wren, and it's mm. done around South, parts of South Kilkenny. Yeah, the robin is important. Well, robin, come here to me. The robin was the old-fashioned uh, elf on the shelf. You know, the mm. robin kept an eye on things, and he brought you news, and he just uh, he just kept it there. But come here, any any sign. I always like a robin when you're out in the garden doing work. You just there, there's always great company in a robin. You totally. just, the, way, the way he or Isn't she looks not. at you. Yeah, yeah lovely. Yeah. Well, listen, as you said, your book is completely sold out. If people can find it anywhere, it's called Folklore of Wexford. But you have website and Facebook pages where is the best place that people can find you Michael? Do, but do folklore, I run a page called folklore.ie on Facebook and again it's uh, all for me here in County Wexford but I'll try to wherever I am I'll be including content from it and that's just folklore.ie on Facebook or just if you want to look at the website itself folklore.ie and you'll find there's about a thousand interviews with people from all over the country and loads from Newfoundland if anyone's interested because of the, obviously the connections with the South East and, and over there as well. accent as well. As well. Yeah. Michael, thanks yeah. a million for talking to me this morning and happy Christmas. Same to you. Happy Christmas. The Sunday Grill with Orla Rappel on Beat 102-103. It's Christmas Eve across the southeast. You're listening to Beat 102-103 and you might recognise the voice of my next guest if you're a fan of Gogglebox. But we're talking to him about a completely different thing because Greg Andrew Murphy has published and self-published a book based around Irish myth and legend mixed with secondary school life. He is a Carlo man, of course. He's the author of The Legend of the Old, and he joins me on the Sunday Grill this Christmas Eve. You're very welcome, Greg. Good morning, Orla. How are you? Keeping? I'm very Happy well, Christmas. thank you. Happy Christmas. Are you all set? Yeah, we're flying now at the minute, so <laughs> ready for the big day tomorrow. Are you all set, or did someone else do all the work for you? Uh, I suppose somebody else did, did <laughs> most of the work, that. but you know you know yourself, it's a team effort, so mm, we're set. Yes, you seem very laid back about it all, which makes me think that you did about 20% of the bulk of the work. Oh, 20% is generous now, I'd say, <laughs> but c- collectively it's 100 anyway. Okay, good. That's what I like to hear. Listen, uh, Greg Andrew Murphy, is that your author's name or is that how you you go about most Do you know times? what? It's... It's it's so funny because uh, I have ne- Andrew is my middle name and mm. I've never ever gone by my middle name in my whole life. But when I was filling in the the with the publisher's details, I actually just thought it was like a form you had to fill out. So I just typed in Andrew, and then when the designers came back with the design, they had the full name written on the thing. So I just went, I just went with it. <laughs> you couldn't change it then. Yeah, but Greg Murphy would just be the name we go by. But I suppose Greg Andrew now seems to be the the author's name. So tell us, how did this all come about? The legends of old. 
Oh, do you know, it's I am. I've always wanted to kind of write a book and always been knocking around ideas and had wrote a few one few ones previous that never kind of went the full mile in the end. And then so I started writing this one. It was actually at Christmas last year. I started writing it and then I wrote the first chapter. And you know yourself, you'll start a project and you'll do a little bit and then you might come back to it. Who knows whenever as well. But I had wrote the first chapter and then my girlfriend now now fiance mm. uh had read the first chapter and she was like oh sure you may you may write the second one i want to find out what happens so every time i would write a chapter she would read it and she would kind of be anytime i might hit a writer's block or it might be a bit of a lull in kind of motivation she might get on to me saying i want to find out what happens next so that'd be great motivation to go back so it really was written for an audience of one really <laughs> that has now kind of expanded into everybody else well that's a good way to do it that you know that someone wanted to get more and more from what you're writing and what you're writing about is Foxy and Nisha set in a secondary school tell us the premise of it yeah so it's it's kind of a mix of so Irish mythology was something that I was always interested in and then I'd be a huge lover of kind of like Japanese anime and those coming of age stories and everything and people being from what's a seemingly normal world and going off to these fantastical adventures and everything else like that. And so it's set in a, a fictional rural town called Tinry Island. Oh, okay. Oh, is, uh, oh so I I'm actually, <laughs> my, my home, t- my home village is called Tinry Island. Yes. But people from outside the county could never pronounce the name of it. Okay. They always called it Tinry Island. <laughs> so that's where I kind of picked up the name so of that. So that's a nod to home. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, like, I went to I went to school in kind of a rural enough area in Ireland, and I'm from a rural enough area in Ireland as well. Mm. So it was very easy to kind of visualize and then write about those places as well. The um, and because a lot of a lot of Irish stories, uh, they do kind of fall into the cities and the bigger towns. And I just kind of wanted to really set up that that was literally out in a small country village. Okay, good stuff. And then where did the idea of the mythology and Irish myths come in? Is that something you've always been interested in? Yeah, I kind of did a good bit of research before writing the book on it because I was constantly, um, if you're looking at kind of TV shows or even uh, PlayStation games or uh, movies at the minute, there's so much on like Norse mythology. There's all of this Thor and Odin and God of War and there's a lot of Roman mythology and an awful lot of Egypt kind of mythology and different things with all those old gods and everything and the Irish mythology is very very deep The um, like it really really does uh, have an absolute plethora of resources on mm. it as well so I just started looking into it because like um, most people will have will have heard of Cú Cullen and Tánbó Cúlige and all those kind of famous ones and I was just looking more and more into it. And I had never really heard of the two of the Danon before. Mm. And which are Ireland's ancient kind of warriors that were its initial inhabitants, or as the story goes. And I just found it fascinating. And then I was like, right, well, I don't want to just kind of write, a, say, a boring old kind of lecture book on the myths for people. So that's when I mixed it with that kind of coming of age story where um, I think it'd be perfect for kind of teens or young adults or anybody who's 
interested in that kind of thing because you don't have to kind of look to Japan or the Norse mythology or America for all these stuff. The mm-hmm. Ireland has enough of the stories there already. Well, true. And things are going well. Was I right in the start and saying you're self-published or did you find a publisher? Uh, so we're self-published at the minute. Now okay. we're actually getting, uh, it's been it's been so much bigger than, than what I thought it was going to be. Brilliant. So I'm kind of losing capacity to self-publish <laughs> at the minute. Uh, so we're in talks with kind of bigger publishers Great. at the minute. Uh, what do you but think at the it, minute, it's what what what's pardon? that that's made it so popular? Do you think? Can you put your finger on I, that? I think I think it it is just the mix of uh, one. I think how popular uh, those kind of contemporary anime stories are with the younger generation. Mm. Uh, they really are massive. Anybody who has kids or is listening who has kids will know their children are probably watching Demon Slayer and all these other kind mm-hmm. of shows that are out there as well. And it's kind of like one of those stories, but it's set in a rural Irish town with Irish characters. And I really wanted to focus on that every, all the characters have Irish names. Okay. Okay. That was kind of a big thing for me as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been, it's been going great at the minute. It's available on Amazon and by the The, um, so if there's loads of orders out there and hopefully in the near future, one of these deals goes through one of the bigger publishers. Brilliant. So it's available online mostly. It's not in any bookstores at the, at the moment. No, it's not in bookstores okay. at the moment. It's uh, online and there's, uh, there's a pretty quick delivery. Okay, brilliant. It. So if people want to get it for heading into the new year and want to start their year of books off right or have kids in your lives or uh, young adults who'd be interested in this, it's called The Legend of Old and you need to search for Greg Andrew Murphy. That's a, do you know what? That makes it easier though because I'm sure there's lots of Greg Murphys in the world. And so, Would you believe it seems to be a fairly uncommon name? <laughs> really? Okay. Well, well, the Kindle version would be the best one to get for exactly. people as well because that's immediate and it's available everywhere. Brilliant. So if you are looking for a gift and you have a hand of someone's Kindle or you can buy them something and send them to them, wanted to keep it local, well then The Legend of Old is the book. Greg Andrew Murphy is the man and you and the lads from Tin Ryland will be back in the summertime for Gogglebox on Virgin Media. Is that right? Yep, that's right as well. And there's a, a total mix of markets there as well. In that, <laughs> Any kids that are reading the book should definitely not be listening to the waffle we're talking. <laughs> a completely different road you go down there. Do you like my pronunciation of Tin Ryland? Yeah, you have it spot on. That's there, my no? Carlo <laughs> Cousins, Greg. That's the only reason I can say it. It's the Carlo Cousins. So Actually, we're the finest little county. <laughs> you surely are. Thanks a million for joining me. Again, you can search for Greg Andrew Murphy and the legend of old. And happy Christmas to you, Greg. Yep. Merry Christmas. The Sunday Grill with Orla Rappel on Beat 102-103. It's the Sunday Grill here on Beat 102-103. Let's do movies uh, for Wonka from Timothy Chalamet delights in fizzing chocolate factory prequel to Who Can Measure Up to Gene Wilder. This candy man can't. The reviews for Wonka are a mixed bag, but I don't believe anything on it until I hear the definitive <laughs> review from the man we call R. Brian. Oh. Will we give you a taster of this origin story? Yeah, of course. And then OB, R. Brian, will give us his thoughts. Are you smiling? Are you yeah, I think smiling. you liked it. I think you liked I it. Like Here it we go. Bit. I know things haven't been easy for you. They're going to get better. You promise? I pinky promise. That's the most solemn vow there is. Where do we start? A good chocolate chip is simple. Where is this? It's just weird. What's happening? Oh, what's happening? 
the chocolate that makes it fly. Well, let's find out, shall we? Who's for a hover job? <laughs> Nothing to see here. Just a small group of people defying the laws of gravity. Ladies and gentlemen of the gallery gourmet, my name is Willy Wonka. He's good. Too good. Pretty sure I've gained about 150 pounds in the last two weeks. You could change her life, Mr. Walker. Change all their lives. Run away! Every good thing in this world started with a dream. So you hold on to yours. Here we go, Mama. There you go, Sally Hawkins. Doing a very good Irish accent. Yeah. Brian's over there. He's Hello. just told me that every meal he's ate over the past five days has been takeaway. Five hours, or two days, two days. Two three, days. Three sorry, days, sorry, two. that's extreme. Five yeah. days a week. Five two. days. So every meal, breakfast, dinner, tea. Yeah. Has been crisps. Crisps or takeaways. <laughs> Why crisps or takeaways? Just convenience. Uh, well, I was, I was in London. They have different types of crisps. Oh, so. no, sorry. Forget Wonka. <laughs> Let's do this. This is very Wonka-esque though. It's like about all the different, like exploring the world and then seeing the different types of sweets there. Oh, tell me now. Tell me the crisps. I had Burger King flavoured Doritos. Burger King flavoured Doritos. So burger. Yeah, I have some, yeah. I have some left out in the car. Okay, so like burger bites from back in the day? I, I don't know. Like they really do taste like a burger. Okay. Like at the start I wasn't convinced and then I was mm-hmm. like, they really there. Really and they nice. were good. You have them in the car. Have some, some a few left in the car if you want to try some. Yeah, yeah. Go get okay. them. Go get them. Now? Go on. Yeah, go on. Right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> so really, we're just waiting for Brian to run in and out of his car. Um, it's only at the door, so it'll only take a second. Oh, here he is! Hurrah! Okay. Okay. All right. Now I thought they were going to look like burger bites. So they. Oh, they already smell very steakish. Flame grilled Whopper, Burger King flavor corn crisps. Oh, oh, they're very Wonka-ish. Wonka-ish. Because, yeah, because the flavor kind of takes all different aspects of lie. what the burger is. I ate the majority of those on the way in in the car this morning. Wow, yum! They're tasty, aren't they? Why aren't they in Ireland, eh? I don't know. Mmm. And what are the crisps did you have in London? So I had the the roast chicken flavoured, roast chicken and thyme flavoured walkers. Yeah, I've had them. Yeah, I've had, like, they just don't do them in Ireland at all. Mm-hmm. So I just love them, always mm-hmm. have them. Um, that was kind of, yeah, I only had one big bag of crisps every day, to be fair to me. So it's okay. not too bad. Well done, such a health buzz. Yeah. It's like a sports influencer. I walk like 30 <laughs> kilometres as well, so. On, oh, well done. On, on one of the days, so. Good stuff. Will we talk Wonka? Yeah, yeah, of course. Sorry, so, I got distracted. Timothy Chalmolet. Um, can we just play this Umpa Lumpa clip? Of course. From Hugh Grant, because I think he might be the star of the show for me when I was watching clips. From it. So you're the funny little man who's been following me. I will have you know that I am a perfectly respectable size for an Umpa Lumpa. An Umpa what now? Allow me to refresh your memory. Oh, I don't think I want to hear that. Too late. I've started dancing now. Once we've started, we can't stop. You really get the feeling that Hugh Grant embraced this. Well, it's since Paddington 2, that was kind of the thing that Hugh Grant mm-hmm. went back in just doing weird little funny mm-hmm. roles again. And of course, this is the director who brought us Paul Paddington King, yes. So uh, well. it's it's he's kind of the guy, I feel like it's Hugh Grant, I'm just going to do whatever for him now. Oh, okay. Do you know, so One it's like, those. yeah, why not? Because yeah. like, like after Paddington, he did like Gentleman where he was like this weird little reporter and he did like, he's done so many just odd little roles, but it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's, it's. I think he's really just been enjoying acting and stuff again. So he said he hated doing this though. So yeah, like, like he was, uh, and he was two, made for it. Two weeks of pain of just being CGI'd in, which is kind of funny that like 
literally in the <laughs> in the press run for the movie he's like I hated every minute of it it's a bit like you know Penelope Cruz when she does all those films for um, what's his name Pedro Almodovar yeah. you know she does all those but just a little bit more down a heel I suppose yeah, it's yeah, not an eyebrow okay tell us Wonka Are you, like the smile on your face is kind of telling me all yeah look do you know it's it's been a really renaissance for like Roald Dahl movies re- like really mm. like the I feel like Matilda is was fantastic last year I love that I thought it was really good like even but even I only watched Fantastic Mr. Fox the other day the Wes Anderson one okay and it's like all these different things told in such like unique way like mm-hmm. the director puts their own spin on a story rather than they're just doing the story the way it's been done already kind of a thing you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's like I thought it was just a really fun way of doing it and it's the, like I was I was going on a rant about this to my friend the other day the way that they do it is actually really really intelligent mm-hmm. because they basically get all the kind of elements of British humour and comedy from a load of different generations and get them in the same movie. And I didn't expect it to be so British. And I oh, loved yeah, it's that heavily it was so British. British. Yeah, yeah. yeah, loved no, that. But like you have Hugh Grant and Ron Atkinson, which mm-hmm. is like Richard Curtis era, Love Actually, Four Weddings and Funeral. Ron Atkinson's playing a priest again, exactly like he was in Four Weddings and mm-hmm. Funeral. Then you have like Simon Farnaby and Matthew Boynton who were in Horrible Histories. Like Simon mm-hmm. Farnaby also like was the writer on this as well. So I recognise him straight away from all my Horrible Histories watching. Yes, like, but it's like these kind of iconic like dudes. And then it's like you have like there's two people that were on Taskmaster, like two comed- like comedic actors. One mm-hmm. of them was in Fresh Meat, like Phil Wang, he's a comedian. The other one, hilarious. They're only in it for like a scene or two. But like, Still, it's another element of, oh, I know mm. them from somewhere. Mm. And so we probably get a more, bit more from it than other international audiences. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Like, and then it's like you have, there's another element of it as well. that Like you have like Matt Lucas, which is of course like Little Britain. Yeah. Like Olivia Coleman, which is like Hot Fuzz. Do you know what I mean? It's like so many different elements mm-hmm. of like entertainment have come together for this. Mm-hmm. And it's just something like, it's just so many different generations, so many things come together. And it's just so wholesome then that it's like, it comes together nicely. It's like a mixing. It's on. It's it's ironically exactly what Wonka was describing in the movie, where he like he goes to different places, gets these fantastic ingredients, and like they might not be the like the most popular ingredients, but they're ingredients that are always like really beloved from the areas they're taken. Puts them all to, like together and makes something really really nice. Like, and it's an origin story, so it's yes. the background as to why Wonka became who he was when we saw him as Gene Wilder or Johnny Depp, whichever yeah. you're having yourself. I will take Gene Wilder, thank you. Yeah, um, I feel like it is a pre-Gene Wilder movie. Oh, and are we? Is it all clicking into place then? Yes, okay. like it's. I feel like so. Yeah, it's it's it's. You can see how down the road he became Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. Like there are certain elements where it's like they definitely could have leaned more into it, but at the same time, I feel like they're like. It doesn't have to be exactly like that. There's a mm-hmm. lot, like there's a lot more references to the Gene Wilder era. It's like a lot, like okay, this is down the line for this kind of a thing. Then okay, like there's like mini versions of what ended up being kind of the factory and stuff. Do you know what okay, I mean? brilliant. So it's all clicking into place. Yeah. Okay. Great. We'll be black pointing it. Yes. Oh, we should black chocolate. Already. It's black chocolate and dark chocolate. Dark not chocolate. my bag, but let's do it. You can still have a first Sunday grill. Why not? <laughs> Put it on. I'll give it like a. I'll give it like a nine. Okay. Eight point five. Why are we taking the? I don't know. Like it was funny. It just it wasn't. I couldn't give it a ten. You know, it's like I really did enjoy. I thought it was a really really fun movie, mm-hmm. but I just couldn't give it a ten. Why not? I don't know, Marla. I don't know. I've really thought about this as well. Is it because there's been a lot of them? Back, you know, it's kind of rehashing the same. Do we need some original stuff? No, I I definitely think it is original. I think like I think it's going to be a movie that's immediately going to be going down as like. Chris, I feel like it's one of those Christmas movies that aren't Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. It's going to be immediately become one oh, of those. Of 
course. And it's going to be a movie that we're going to realistically be talking about rewatching every single year for the yeah, rest of our lives. I'm okay with that. That's better so than it's, Die Hard. It's for not me. like, and I'm, I'm okay to do that. Uh-huh. So it's, I've no issue. I think it's great. Uh, but it's a seasonal movie. Yeah, well, not even, see, like, it, it is, I don't know. It just, it's not a 10. I okay. couldn't, I couldn't. Feel right giving it a 10. Right. That is Brian, not a 10, Griffin. He is giving one to <laughs> nine or eight and a half. I'll give it a nine. I'll give it a nine. Yeah. Nine and a half black puddings, or in this case, dark chocolate, not the nicest. It's always white chocolate for me, bizarrely. Really? Nine out of 10? Nine out of 10. Thank you very much. No Thanks problem. for the crips. No problem.